What's going on, occasionally? It's your boy Kid. You get a dreadlock blur back with another dreadlock blur talk interview. Today, I am joined by writer, director, filmmaker, actor, A. Caesar Pizarro. Thanks for coming in. What's on his man? Thanks for having me. Thanks for having me. All right, he lives also here in New Jersey, where I live. So we, you know, what's you know what's black actors. We gotta, you know, we gotta stick together. We got, we got. Yes, stay, sir. Stay, yes, stay, sir. Stay connected. Um. <laughs> Again, before I begin, you know, all the shameless plugs are in the description box below, so you know exactly where to find me. And his will also be in the description box also, so you can find him when this interview is over. All right? All that being said, um, why don't you tell everybody a little bit about yourself, man? All right, cool. I mean, I'm born and raised in South Jersey. Um, I started acting... Uh, in high school, nice. developed a love for it. The uh, first time directing was actually in high school, um, directing plays. Okay. Uh, then once I graduated high school, I did some other endeavors and just kind of came back to it. Um, I started early doing um, music videos. Nice. There's a um, there's an artist from Atlantic City named Ballistic. Shout out to Ballistic. Uh, we we happened to link up. I started shooting music videos for him for about, you know, like maybe two years or so. I uh, became his um his unofficial manager. Nice. And after a while I decided to kind of branch out and try my, you know, hand at actually acting and directing again. And, you know, I shot a few short films here and there. Um I ghost directed some short films and boom, just kinda been making it on the indie world, you know, when I can, you know, got linked up with a couple people. I actually worked on um, the pilot of um, Issa Rae's show, um, Insecure, but nice. back before it was Insecure, when it was Awkward Black Girl, uh, you know, and um, yeah, and ever since then, I've been just doing little things here and there, small short films, the working crew, because I, I do everything. I just I love filmmaking, so I'm willing to do anything on the set, so... <laughs> Uh, what would you say? I mean, I mean, for most people, it's probably obvious. But what would you say is like working behind the camera on a music video as opposed to like a film? Uh, through my experience, just because for me, when I shot music videos, I did everything on my own. So it was pretty much like I was a one man band. Mm -hmm. But then once I transitioned into film and started learning things, it was like, wow, it was a completely different beast. And doing bigger music videos, I kind of started to see how similar it was to filmmaking, you know. But, like, I remember shooting, you know, music videos and then transitioning into film, you know, people using terms like, oh, DP and grip. I'm like, what is that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, cinematographer, I'm like, what, what, what is that? You know, especially me coming from the theater world mm -hmm. before doing, you know, music videos. So, I mean, it was a it was a big change, a big transition, you know, as far as, you know, where I came from. Because for me, it was all about just, I had this idea for the video based on what you said in the song. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to shoot it this way and we're going to make it work. Right. So... <laughs> And that's kind of just how my music video career started and my directing career started. <laughs> yeah, that, that actually sounds about right because, I mean, for lo most of you guys who don't know or are maybe just thinking about getting into, like, the entertainment production industry or whatever, 
Like it, it really is like that. Like you start out where it's like you just have this idea in your head of how it's supposed to go. But then as time goes on, you start to hear terms like DP, grip, AD, you know, um, boom, like all these things are like, wait, what's all this? I, I, I mean, like I only watch the credits up to a certain point. So I don't even watch the credits at all. I just get, I just skip right to the end credit scene if there is one, or I just turn the movie off. But exactly, you know, there there is a lot of aspects. Like those of us who've watched enough Marvel movies to sit through the whole credits, you know, there's like there's a lot, there's a lot of people, and there's a lot of hands that goes into making a film happen. Even if yes. it's some, even if it's a short or like a TV series. You know, there's a lot of hands that go into it as well. It's like it's not just the actors and the actors and the director and the producer and stuff. There's right. like so many different levels to how things are. Look at any animated movie you've watched. Like yeah, the credits in the animated movie was like really how many people worked on this? Was like it's a lot. It goes for days. <laughs> it really, it really goes for days. And it's like you know, and that's something I've also been learning too as someone who's like. Getting, been getting into like filmmaking and things like that. Um, right. Do you definitely prefer to work in front of camera, or camera, or behind the camera? I probably already know the answer to that question. <laughs> Actually, it's a it's a tough question. Um, for I, if I decide to get in front of the camera, it's for very particular things. I I feel like I do have a little bit of a um. A funny streak here mm-hmm. and there. So if I get in front of the camera, it's totally to do something comedic, right. you know. And I, I guess you've seen the portion of uh, Double Dragon. I have a little bit of a um, a comedic scene, and yeah. it's kind of like a running gag with me. Where there's a few films that I've been in, and I play the exact same character. Mm-hmm. You know, the guy that gets beat up for information, and I like I love playing that character. Yeah. I think it's fun. There's a, a movie that I did a few years ago where um, Rick, the star, one of the stars mm-hmm. of Double Dragon, he did called um, A Man Possessed, where he beats me up for information. <laughs> and then I get beat up again by um, uh, ECW wrestler Tommy Dreamer. He's wow. in the film, too. And then I get beat up by him. And it's just but those things I love doing when it comes to um, acting. So it's a little bit of a double-edged sword. So it's like I love directing. But I love particular parts of acting. Right. <laughs> it, it, and it's interesting because I've met I met a fair amount of directors or filmmakers who really enjoy inserting themselves into their own projects to the point where they are the star. And there's nothing wrong with that. There's absolutely right. nothing wrong with being the star of your own film. But then it's like, you know, it becomes a point where it's like. Are you judging everything else and not judging yourself on how well things are going? And it's right. like and like and like what you just said, it kind of goes in the same line too, because the projects that I have lined up, you know, I ain't even I I threw myself in there, but not in big roles. But it came to a point where I was like, maybe I should just dial back a little bit. And right. maybe not, maybe just stick behind the camera. Because there's there's actually a lot, there's a lot more you gotta do behind the camera than you gotta do in front. Right. A lot yeah, of people don't understand, exactly. but like a lot of what goes on behind the camera is arduous. It's very arduous because you got to make sure it's shot the right way. People are doing what they're supposed to do. You have this person in place, that person in place, things like that. Right. But, you know, when you throw yourself into a project and it's like, because like I'm in the same boat because like I would give myself a comedic role, something like right. something kind of funny where I'm like taking a hit 
or I'm being shaken down for questions and stuff like that. It's like, yeah, that works. That that kind of works because you know if you I mean if you're gonna do it, at least have fun with it. Like I mean, right, you know, exactly, it, 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 and that's how I feel. Yeah, have fun with it at the regular. Now, you mentioned Double Dragon, which is what I worked <laughs> with you on also. Now, tell us in this because I've seen everyone say think pretty much what you put out for it, and it's like a good reimagining of the Double Dragon story. Because aside Thank from you. the cartoon and the movie we got, <laughs> uh, this is actually pretty good. So, what made you decide to do a Double Dragon fan film? Well, me being a huge fan of old school beat-em-ups, I- I've always wanted to do something that involved Double Dragon. And um, one day during this whole quarantine, um, I just happened to be just watching monologues, and a monologue came up from Far Cry 3. Mm. I don't know if you're familiar, the Voss monologue. Yeah. And I shot my my buddy Anthony Scandish, who plays Jimmy Lee in the Double Dragon uh, short, I sent him a text message and I sent him the video. I said, hey, we should kind of do something like this. Just, you know, to put on your reel, you kind of, you know, show that, you know, show a little bit more of your, you know, your acting chops. So he's like, yeah, sure, you know. And then I started thinking about it. And I turned on my Nintendo Switch. I start cycling through games. I see Double Dragon. And I'm like, hmm. And for a while, I've been trying to put together a, um, a short film with um, River City Rampage. Mm-hmm. So I'm like, you know what? Maybe I should try this with Double Dragon. So what I did was I sat down. I just wrote an interrogation scene. Mm-hmm. And I kind of did it with a noir feel. Like I took a little bit of inspiration from Max Payne, you know, right. the voiceover portions from Max Payne. And then I was like, you know what? Let's shoot this. I send it over to um, to Anthony, and he's like, "Yeah, you know, I'm down." And he's like, "Well, who are you going to get to play, you know, Billy?" I'm like, "I know the guy, you know." Reach out to Rick because Anthony and Rick, you know, Ricardo Segura, yeah. they work together on a couple things, and they have really great chemistry. Yes. Reached out to him. He was like, "I'm down," you know. So it's like, at from there, we uh we have a mutual friend that's a cinematographer. We reached out to him. We said, "Hey, look." I could shoot. We could shoot this in a day. Yeah. Got the location. Luckily, uh, um, my uh, cousin, my second cousin, owns an auto repair shop. So we just used one of his little bays that he wasn't using. We and we shot it in like about four hours. When I got back, um, my cinematographer Juan, he uh, he said he put a rough edit together, and then that night I was like, you know what? This needs to continue. Yeah. I wrote the second part in one night. I sent it over to Rick and Anthony. And they're like, oh, you know, it took them a day or two because, you know, mm-hmm. they, they go to work and everything yeah. and, you know, taking care of family business, you know, so when they got back, it took them like two days to get back to me. They're like, yo, I like it. I'm like, well, guess what? Throw that in the trash because I got another one. <laughs> second draft. You know, it takes two, three days to get to it. They get back to, oh, yeah, I like this one better. Well, guess what? Throw that in the trash because I got another another draft. They're like, man, I'm like, that's all I've been doing. It's just writing, writing, writing. And then next thing you know, we start reaching out to people for it to be be extras. Mm -hmm. You know, I reached out to you for one of the fight scenes to play a bobo. And then we just got together, did rehearsals, and shot it. And sometimes that's really all it takes is like, and that's something I've been learning too. Is like you know, so, so many people 
want to get everything right the first time. And then, right. and it's funny because, you know, you, I've had a couple other people tell me like, you know, you know, just go ahead and make it. And I'll, and I was just like, oh, I don't want to have this piece in play. I want to have this piece in order. Is that like, I, and like, even after working on your project, I was just like, you know what? I can't really just be sitting here waiting. You know, I gotta, I gotta get this thing cracked because as you know, equilibrium, my short them, I, I, I wrote that thing back in like 2016. Right. Like I wrote it like 2016. I wrote that thing. And you know what, you know, really what it, what made me do it? It was the Urban Action Showcase. Right. Like, is the, like, I think that year, like, I, I keep forgetting what year I initially went, but I think, like, the following year, and it might have been 2017, that's when they were going to be honoring Equilibrium because, as well, well, those of you who are watching, Equilibrium <laughs> is a Christian Bale movie that came up in 2002. Like, this was still around a time where, like, the Matrix was still, like, really yep. big in people's minds, so... Anything that kind of looked like the Matrix was considered like a Matrix, right? Maybe not so much a ripoff, but like a Matrix copycat, right? I, and remember. anything in Hollywood, they were greenlighting scripts that had any kind of feel of the Matrix. Exactly. Like, Can we put that that effect in it? Yeah, yeah. Greenlight, greenlight, like, greenlight. So Equilibrium yeah. was one of them. Jet Li's the one was another one. Like yep. anything that was like anything martial arts, black leather, things like that, special effects heavy. Like you said, they greenlit it. They let it go. Right. So I remember I would go to like FYE back when I was going to FYE <laughs> to get my movies. I remember going there and seeing this. And I was like, the dude from American Psycho? <laughs> nah, I'm okay. And then I went to school one day. And I was in college at the time. And I, it was on. It was in the um, student lounge. And it was on. I was like, what movie is this? And then I saw the box. <laughs> I was like, oh, I got to go buy this thing. So then it was and then the fact it was like I think it was my twentieth birthday. I went out and go and went out and bought it. And then I watched the whole thing. I was like, oh my god, this movie is amazing. Yes. Like from the from the story, <laughs> from the choreography with the gun copters and everything. So then, you know, Urban Action Showcase comes around years later and they're honoring Equilibrium. You know, like, I gotta make something. I gotta make something yes. based off of this. So what I wrote was a somewhat of a pseudo sequel which is a short to the first movie and since you're here now i might as well tell you about it since you want since i'm going to be you in on the project and and i'm kind of giving i'm not giving away too many things because i know people are watching and listening but basically right. this movie follows his son um right. christian bale's son who is a cleric himself and he has a team that's going to infiltrate the nethers but they're actually going for a different reason than what the um tetragram Tetragrammaton thinks. Um, when I started putting this together, I had a cast out, but again, over time, years started to like pass, and I started to turn my my attention to Young Justice Future Shot, which is my DC fan film, which right. is like gonna be like a bigger production. It's like it's like a full on like ninety minute movie that's gonna be, right. and we're, I'm gonna talk to you about that too. But because um, <laughs> your wife's in it, yes, so, you know. So in fact, your wife is in both projects, so. Yeah, there's that. So, um, but you know, I just recently bought a camera, and I said, you know, Young Justice is still going to take a while to, you know, because we're still getting costumes and stuff. So I said, let me go back to Equilibrium because we can literally shoot that in a weekend. Right. It, 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 we Equilibrium, Equilibrium is like 21 pages, so it's like 20 minute thing. 
shoot that over the weekend. All we just got to do is get props. We got to work on fight choreography, rehearsals and stuff like that. So I said, let's just get back into that. And so um, I still need three more people, I think. Three more, three more cast members. I still need three more, three or four more. So um, probably three more, but you know, I'll, you know, we'll get into that a little bit later. But um, it, it's really, like you said, it's one thing is like, you know, if you have an idea, you know, you gotta try to see it through any way you can. And it's like, how many fan films of Double Dragon are there? There's not too many. There's not too many. I actually did a little bit of research before I shot. There's maybe a handful that are, um, that are out there. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they are what they are. A lot of times when I, I look, I look at what year they're released. You know, a lot of them are ten years old, seven years old. The most recent is probably like five years old. Right. So it's like, you know what? There's not a, a ton, you know. And like I've had experience with trying to work on fan films. Um, I tried to do a Nightwing short film a few years ago, and ended up kind of getting bogarted by uh, the YouTuber Is Mahawk, but. Okay, so because I, yeah. I was gonna ask you because when you had posted that up, I was like, "Is this the same one that Ismahawk is working on?" Because I remember he put out like maybe a couple of episodes. I think. Yeah, he did a, actually a whole season, and oh, then he got hit with the cease and desist by yeah. uh, DC because it started to grow. But yeah. uh, before he did that, he had um, a Nightwing and Red Hood film, mm. and it was out there. I had it initially seen it before yeah. I started working on my Nightwing. And I reached out to my buddy, Ricardo Seguera. We talked about it. We had um, another friend of ours design a brand new logo for it. I had a cast. I had my script going. And I posted it on Twitter. And Ishmahawk seen it. And he inboxed me. And he says, hey, you know, I like the guy that you have for Nightwing. He looks like a great Nightwing. I play Red Hood in my own piece. And I was doing the Red Hood series. Could you be? Could you use your Nightwing in my Red Hood, and I can maybe be in your Nightwing as my Red Hood? And I was like, Yeah, sure, you know, no problem. You know, I let him know, and we we talked a little bit here and there. And then he's like, Well, hey, send me a script. And I said, Well, I'm not going to send you a script, but I can kind of give you a very brief outline of what I want to do. My villain is Deathstroke. You know, I'm bringing in Suicide Squad. You know, I just don't have a Deathstroke cast and I don't have my Harley Quinn just yet. But I gave him a little, a, a very brief um, outline. And then once I started reaching out, trying to get some pieces of the costume made, you know, I, I decided to reach out to him again. I said, hey, look, you know, send me what you got as far as your Red Hood helmet, because I might be able to help you because I, I checked out his short film. Mm-hmm. I wasn't a fan of how his Red Hood helmet looked. Right. So I said, Look, you know, I'll go. I was thinking my thoughts were I'll go on half with you with a red hood helmet. Mm-hmm. He never gets back to me. So now a month goes by, nothing. I try, I send him another message. Another month goes by, I send him another message. Next thing you know, I see an article from IGN. You know, after three months, I see an article on IGN. Check out this Nightwing teaser. And I look at it, and it's like the first episode. And I watch it, and I'm like, wow, that looks a lot like what I wanted to do for my Nightwing show. I'm like, then I, you know, sent him a message on Twitter, and then he blocked me. Wow. I'm like, wow. And I learned my lesson from that. (laughs) Mm -hmm. 
learned a very important lesson from that experience. <laughs> yeah, and, and unfortunately, it, it's a lesson that a lot of people tend to learn, especially when it comes to like the fan film game, because everybody has ideas and everybody is like trying to figure out a way to get it off the ground. You know, like right. I, I remember watch I remember watching the first episode. I think I caught like the first two or three episodes because I think they were all kind of short. They weren't that long. Yeah. They were like mm -hmm. maybe like 10, 15 minutes, maybe even right. less than that. And I'm like, wow, this is pretty good. And then, but then when you posted up your thing, I was like, wait a minute. Yeah. This looks very <laughs> familiar. And then I started wondering, like, did he work with Ismahawk? I mean, I don't know what he's been doing lately. I don't know if he's been doing anything at all. You know, I haven't right. been checking. Up. There's a lot of people that I used to watch back in the day that I haven't really been checking up on. Right. But, you know, it, it, it's crazy because you got to really watch out for, like, certain, like, people and certain people that you give ideas to, even if it's in right. the guys that are trying to help people out. And, you know, it's, it's crazy. So that's when, that, that, that's it. I think that's probably one of the things where it's like, I'm pretty sure people was like, well, look, I'm not going to make this shit my damn self. You know, I'm trying to get people who like have like a probably like a bigger following and maybe a bigger production crew or things like that. You know, and there's a lot of people that usually tend to and sometimes you look out, sometimes you don't. Right. But you know, it's like really one of those things where it's like if you can make it on your own, make it on your own. Like I, I exactly. have that's what he does. He makes all his own films. All the quality isn't all that great. Right. <laughs> At this point, I can't knock him for just going out and doing it. Like, cause yeah, because like, sometimes, you know, it's a challenge just going out and doing it. That's why, like, I always applaud people. Like, you know, no bad, no matter how bad the quality is, it's like, you did it, though. Yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, and there's people that they have ideas, and they sit on those ideas for years, and they think that they can't do it. But, like, it's possible, especially now, you know, where you can get great quality out of your, out of your phone, like yeah. for me personally, it's it's kind of I'm coming. It's hard. It's a hard time coming up with excuses not to do, right? You know the things I want to do. It's like all right, well the camera is an issue because guess what? I have a phone that shoots in 4K. I mm -hmm. got four lenses for my phone that shoots in 4K. Right. I got a drone. Why, why, why am I sitting here? Right. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it, it's hard to make that excuse now. Like why aren't you shooting anything? So even now I try to write within the bounds of what I can do. Right. So that way it's like, now I'm eliminating excuses. You know, so like there's, there's I have like a handful of scripts that I've written just during quarantine. And it's like, a lot of these I can shoot. I know I can shoot. There's certain things I can shoot by myself, but then there's certain things I can shoot if I have a small team together. Right. And then I have a little bit of a bigger project that I can shoot if I have a little bit bigger of a team with somebody that knows a little bit of special effects. So, right. It's one of those things where it's like you kind of write to your situation and you, you shoot what you can. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of just the motif I've been living by. You know, yeah. like I've shot some big stuff. I shot small stuff. You know, I've worked on big sets. I worked on small sets. But, you know, at this point now, it's harder and harder to find excuses not to do, you know, what you love. Right. And that's... And that's pretty much where I'm at right now because I'm looking like, like there's a lot of things I've written. Some of them is like very special effects laden. Some of the things are like very straightforward, you know, grounded and stuff like that. And then it's like, it's always like, oh, I don't have this. I don't have that. But it's like, you know what? Screw all that. It, especially now, now that a lot of us kind of have a lot of free time, 
to write mm -hmm. and depending on where you live, you know, like meet up with people to film stuff. It's like, you know what? Why wait? You know, really right. why wait? Like, let's try to get this done as soon as, as best we can, as soon as you can. Exactly. And now, a lot of the things you've written, I mean, like, um, I'm, I'm going to assume a lot of it's like original stuff. Uh, yes, a lot of things that I, I have written is original. I, um, I have, and I, I work in different genres too. The only thing I haven't done is horror, which I've been trying to like work on now. But like, I do fantasy, I do drama. Um, I recently did a film a few years ago that unfortunately I haven't received credit for, but it's mm. called Hush. It's a, um, it's a psychological drama that's a silent film, mm. you know, and it's probably like, Personally, I think it's probably some of my best work. And but even with that, it's like that particular story wasn't something original that I wrote, but I, you know, I co-wrote it with um, someone else. Right. So I kind of try to stick to original things or even if I do like write a script for a fan film in my head, I might say, OK, well, I can make this into a fan film. But if I need to strip all the all the the fan film elements away from it, can I, can it still work? Right. And that's the way I do when I work, even when I did my, um, like, for example, Double Dragon, mm -hmm. I have a, there's a completely other title if I decided that I didn't want it to be a Double Dragon film and nothing needs to change. Mm -hmm. Even with um, my Nightwing script, all I take out is the name Nightwing because initially it's called Nightwing, Nightwing Slaughterhouse. Mm -hmm. I take out Nightwing and just replace it with a CIA agent and, it's an original property, right? You know, so that's the way I try to write. So that way, if someone sees my script and like it, and they say, "Hey, well, I want to put some money behind it, but I don't want that that DC trouble. Can mm -hmm. you take it out?" And it's only just okay, redraft it, take out all the names, change the title, and that's it. Right. So that's the way I kind of work when it comes to um, when it comes to anything that you know is a property that's owned. So that way. I, I just recently had someone reach out to me about Double Dragon mm. and said, hey, you know, I love this, but, you know, is this Double Dragon thing going to be a problem? I said, hey, look, if you want to put money behind it and for me to make the next part, I already have the new title ready. So right. it's ready to go. And mm -hmm. all that stuff can come out and the plot can still be the same. So, you know, that's just the way I do it. So that way, if I ever need to finagle anything, it's only a draft away. Right. <laughs> Which, which is definitely a good thing to keep in mind because, you know, I was just talking with somebody about, like, especially with the nature of fan films because it's like some certain properties you got to be careful with. Certain things are, like, a little bit free. Star Trek, they are very, very close to the chest with their property. Like, if you right. try to do a fan film, you got to, like, go through, like, all the hoops to, like, right. even get it done. You know, Star Wars, not so much. Star Wars is right. like, you go ahead and knock yourself out. Do all the fan films yeah. you want. You know, <laughs> have all the live on day. Go ahead. Um, DC, you know, they can be depending. It, it, it depends. Depending on how many views you get. <laughs> DC can be here, here and there because, like, you know, especially with my project, Young Justice, it's like I'm making sure we're keeping things very up and up and stuff you know we're not gonna like throw this all over the place you know we're gonna let people watch it and stuff you know we get that call then it's like okay but right. at the same time it's like marvel i think marvel is kind of the same thing i think they're a little bit more lenient 
But then again, right. I don't see you don't see too many Marvel fan films out there. And if yeah. there are, yeah. So you know, it's like it's all about knowing the property that you're going with. Like look at like something like Dragon Ball. I've seen a number of different Dragon Ball type related um um fan films. Some of the titles are different, but for the most part, I think and anime usually I think anime is usually pretty pretty open. They're yeah. pretty free. Certain video games and stuff, they're actually actually most video games themselves are actually pretty okay too. Yeah. You know, like Mega Man, like Mega Man, uh Street Fighter, Mortal Kombat, you know, Mario, things like that. They're usually pretty open too. So it's really about knowing which property that you can really play with and and it's like you said, like if you have a backup plan where you can like change the title and nothing about it really changes, you're good. You're, you're right. pretty golden. Um, yeah. As far as fan film is concerned, like, what draws you in to, like, making, like, certain fan films? Because, like, I think that's the one thing a lot of people don't usually get a chance to ask is, like, they just like watching it, but it's like, why did they decide to do this? Why did they decide to do that? Right. You know? Yeah. Um. For me, personally, when it comes to deciding to venture into the fan films, I I feel like that I've seen a lot of uh, films when it comes to like comic book movies and me in particular, I, I'm going to be, you know, very frank here. A lot of, and a lot of people that know me personally know this, that I'm not really a fan of DC's films and how they, they approach the filmmaking process. Mm. So even with the Nightwing um, short that I did, I did that because, you know, I feel like they didn't, DC hasn't been represented well Mm -hmm. when it comes to films. And I feel like when it comes to stuff like Batman or, you know, and the fact that we haven't seen much Nightwing at the time when I was attempting, we we didn't see much Nightwing. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to take Nightwing in a direction where it was like, I wanted to put, and if you see any of my films that are action orientated, you'll kind of you, you'll get the theme yeah. where I want to put these characters in a tough situation over a period of time, yeah. like you know a six hour span. I want and I want to see these characters go th- jump these hurdles over this time period and become successful. But and I want this uphill battle just to be in one location or maybe two locations and then we see the struggle going uphill and I felt like you know that was something I felt that if I wrote something for Nightwing I could do in a strong way like for example just um my Nightwing short was called Nightwing Slaughterhouse and it's basically about Nightwing and Red Hood they get caught by they get trapped inside of a building and the building is controlled by the Suicide Squad and they have to hit every floor to get out because there's only one exit and it's at the top Mm -hmm. and they literally have to go through each member of the Suicide Squad. Nice. And for me, that was like, and I mean, anyone that's a, you know, that's, that watches film, they know it's like the plot of the raid, it's the plot of Dread, Mm -hmm. but I think you take that aesthetic and you put, you know, someone like Nightwing and Red Hood in that situation against known villains like um like the suicide squad then right. it's it, it, the task is a little bit different than when you see the raid or mm-hmm. when you see dread you know it's a different kind of task because now each floor is a boss battle 
essentially. Right. That's what I was. That's what I was looking to curate with Nightwing, um, Slaughterhouse. So even with um, Double Dragon, it's pretty much the same. Where you have Billy and Jimmy Lee have an obstacle, they have a few hours to tackle this obstacle, and let's just set them out there. And the only difference with in Double Dragon, I put the added element of there being a little bit of contention between the two brothers. So right. now they have this situation that they have to, to go through over a course of time, but also they don't necessarily agree with each other. And one may not even really like the other because it's Pat, because what he's done in the past. So right. how do they solve that and still move forward, you know, and still trust each other in this dire situation? So you know, I feel like that's something I like to do with these with a fan film because you have these characters that we all know. We all read them through uh, through issues of comics, but let's put them in something a little bit more confined. And that was always my thought whenever I do something and I decide to do like a fan film style. It's like what kind what short-term goals can I give them in a small amount of time? And that way I feel like you're kind of going to make a successful short film by doing it that way because everything, because everyone knows about these characters. So you don't have to do much setup. So it's just like, you know, the characters, here's the situation. Let's see if they can get out of it. And I just like to go from there. (laughs) That sounds like, that sounds pretty, like a pretty solid way of doing things. Cause, um, like that's the one added bonus of a fan film is like depending on what property you're using, like the characters are gonna be pretty much well known. So there's not much really you, you have to do. Now all you're just gonna really do is just sit there. You're gonna write out a scenario that kind of fits those type of characters, and even if it doesn't, you'll find a way to make it work. And then people as a right. viewer, they just get to sit there and watch. Like hmm, this is an interesting take because you know any of us who've played Double Dragon, we kind of know what the story is. Right. Uh, the and that's the beautiful thing yeah. about Double Dragon is the sword. The story is razor thin. Yes, you know that you have one guy is saving his girlfriend, and when I looked at that, I'm like, "There's a bunch that I can throw in there," and that's my thing. I like to allude to things, mm-hmm. so that way, when it's over, you're gonna think like, "Are they gonna do another one?" Because they mentioned this and they didn't really go right. into it. And that's kind of where I like to go, especially when I want, you know, if I'm trying to, you know, crowdfund or, you know, pitch it to someone that might want to invest. And it's like, look, you know, this character talked about this. This is actually important. And if I have the opportunity to move it forward, I'm going to flesh this out. Right. And with Double Dragon, it gave me that opportunity because it's so razor thin. I can just inject this. I can inject that where Billy wasn't all, you know, Billy was a cop and now Jimmy was a member of the gang and you know who is really his girlfriend or is Jim have Jimmy and Billy always been cool or mm-hmm. you know and a, a big thing I wanted to address was if you played the original Double Dragon game and you get to the end with player one and player two they fight at the end right why would they fight at the end or if it's canon how did that affect them years later mm-hmm. you know so and those are the kind of things I thought about when I was writing and I always wanted to kind of going into it I always wanted to someone that's familiar with the game they can pick out certain things that are from the game right without it being too obvious you know mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah that, 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 that because like I'll say I have a lot of fun working on it 
Like, even just for what I read, I was like, this this actually really works. And I and I always find it interesting when people take certain properties and they put a little spin on it, you know. Right. You know, you got a lot of people that try to stay stick close to the canon of it, but then you have others where it's like, hmm, this this actually might this, I would actually like to see this progress even further. You know, like right. look at something like Double Dragon where you have two brothers, you know. You don't know if they're, they secretly hate each other. You don't know if they, like, you know, want to kill each other. But it's like, they got to do this thing because they're brothers. And it's like blood thing and all this other stuff. So it, 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 it's, it's definitely an interesting take. Um, like I said, like, the nature of fan films is a very interesting world. And, you know, so many people take a lot of certain liberties. And, and, and to me, that's probably the best way you can do certain things. It's like take right. certain liberties and change it up because you got to try to make it your own at some point. Right. You yeah. Know? And it's also good to flex those creative muscles, you right. know, instead of just doing, and that's one thing that I, I always have an issue with, especially when, you know, people like we see these film adaptations all the time of our favorite comic books and our old cartoons or old video games. And these writers and directors do take liberties. When I was younger, I used to hate that, but, you know, as becoming more seasoned in my writing, mm-hmm. I've discovered, I'm like, you know what? To adapt so these things, a lot of things don't really work in live action or in the film format. So exactly. now I understand better that these changes, one, need to be made because mm-hmm. it, it wouldn't make sense if you transition it from a game, a movie, a comic book into, you know, live action. And two... Right. You know, people other than the writers of the original um, work, there's other people that have good ideas, too. And sometimes those good ideas can be injected into these classic characters and evolve into something more spectacular. So I'm always open to, you know, when we take something that we know and then add a spin to it and change it up. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. But do we really want to see the exact same thing that we read five years ago, 10 exactly. years ago, right. you know? And it's like, for me, not all the time, you mm-hmm. know? So I'm always open. So, I mean, that's just me on my soapbox. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it's funny though, cause like I said, I was just talking with someone and, you know, we were talking about the MCU and, you know, we were talking about how certain fandoms can go way overboard with a lot of things that exist. And, you know, we're talking about, a company in Marvel that has had like story arcs that expand like months on end, you know, right. m- months on end. And like, um, you got the Marvel Studios where they kind of had to cram like a certain aspect of storyline into a two or three hour movie, you know. Right. Yeah, Civil War is a good one, you know, because Civil mm-hmm. War was a big arc in the Marvel comics, you yeah, know? and it included everybody. You know, the MCU only covers a certain number of characters within that universe. So right. they had to take Civil War and re and readapt it into a way that kind of fits for the movie universe. So as opposed to right. like being the entire Marvel universe, now it's just the Avengers. Right. Yeah, it's just the Avengers that yeah. are comfortable with each other. And, you know, the fact that they grabbed Spider-Man kind of helped, you know, yeah. because everybody <laughs> loves Spider-Man. But, you know, you got to look at things like that and like you know, I look at the DCEU and and I'll agree with you, like a lot of the things that they've done with it have been handled well. 
you know, I still I still enjoy Man of Steel. I, right, I, I me do. too. I, I really enjoy Man of Steel. That's probably one of the very few DC EU movies that I really enjoy, aside from Wonder Woman. Actually, no. Mm-hmm. Man of Steel, Wonder Woman, Aquaman, and Shazam actually took me by surprise. I wasn't expecting yeah, to watch Shazam so much. did take me by surprise. Um, Aquaman, I'm about 50-50 on. Um, the first time I watched it, I loved it. The, then my second viewing, I was like, eh. It doesn't really work for me as much as the first time. It's like it, it, there was points where it felt too bloated. Yeah. And but for me, that's the story of the DCU in general. Everything feels too bloated. They're right. trying to do too much at once, and it's like you don't need to introduce Black Manta at this time because right. we already got Black Manta does not need to be delegated to a side story. Exactly. You know, and that's how I feel about a lot of things that happened in the DCU where. They, they try to inject too much, and, they, and those things get delegated to side stories where mm-hmm. it's like you started off good, but then you, you, you try to put too much in, in into the mix, and then yeah. you kind of mess up. You mess up the pop, you know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> like, I, I look at Batman v Superman, oh. which is the one movie that should have set the world on fire, and yeah. it didn't. You know, yeah. like, the, 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 um, the ultimate the ultimate edition does a lot better of tying a lot of things up, but again, a lot of things put in there that need to be put in there, like and even with the ultimate edition, like I I I've watched it. For me, the ultimate edition does nothing for me because basically the way I feel, those things that get tied up or things are a part of the bloat factor. Mm-hmm. Everything that felt too bloated, you're gonna add on to the stuff that's already bloated. So right. it's like it. It really didn't do anything to me. For me, like the redeeming quality is for me personally, it's the best Batman fight scene in cinema. Yes, right now. Yes, and yeah. it's like, well, I got to see a Batman that is proficient in martial arts finally. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it, it, it you had to take a whole movie for it, but yeah, hey, you yeah. got it. <laughs> yeah, really. I mean, like just even looking back, like you know, the inclusion of Doomsday, which was extremely embarrassing. Famous. Really, like you know, you don't you don't take a character as iconic as Doomsday, and you throw him in your second DCEU film. You don't do that, and then you put him as like a C plot. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. You know, there, there, there's so many things that like it, it's funny because I've actually been in the process of rewriting Batman v Superman. I mean, I'm right. not gonna, I'm not going to film it or anything, but it's like I've been in the process of rewriting it, like just to really stretch on my again creative juices and stuff and it's like there's so many things that could have been done better with this film right. and it's like they just went this route like even with justice league and <laughs> look i'm I'll tell you right now justice league let me tell you <laughs> justice league i went into justice league kind of lukewarm mm-hmm. and i left justice league luke Okay, <laughs> I, I love Justice League. Luke. All right, like I, I should have been more hyped for Justice League than I was, and I wasn't, and that's not mm. a good thing for us. For like, I, I've been a lifelong DC fan. I'm a fan of Marvel, but I've been a, always a lifelong DC fan. I watch right. all the cartoons. That's the comic books I collect. You know, like I own a good amount of DC movies. The Dark Knight trilogy sits on my shelf. You know, right. like, you know, Christopher Reeve Superman. I own those. Well, really, I just own two. I I, I own like Superman three, four, and then the bad ones. I just I just skip those. 
like Batman, Batman Returns, Batman Forever. Those are on my shelf. A lot of DC animated movies are on my shelf. You know, Justice League and Justice League Unlimited were my favorite cartoons. And I went into that movie like, all right, what are you going to do? And then I was just like, I left the movie. I was like, meh, whatever. You know, I'm interested to see what the Snyder Cut's going to look like. I'm interested too. I mean, like I walked out of that movie. I literally, I had a little bit of popcorn left in my bag. I just launched it and was pissed because I was like, this is such a travesty. Like, how do you do this to the Justice League? Yeah. I mean, I, I mean, I have many issues with it um, as far as the writing is concerned, as far as um, the directing is concerned. I know it's Josh Whedon's cut, but, you know, I, I mean, just... Flash being established was I was not happy with it. But, I mean, just I can go like I said, I can go yeah, for days. Yeah, really. Justice League, but just overall, it's just poorly paced. Yeah, it's poorly written, and then you have characters that don't act consistently. You know, it felt like I was watching two different Batman when I watched Batman and Superman and Justice League. It's like, who's this guy? You like that wasn't the Batman we seen two years ago. <laughs> that was actually one of the biggest things that took me out. That's actually one of the biggest things that took me out of the movie was the portrayal of Batman in Justice League. I'm like, listen, for all intents and purposes, the Batman we got in Batman v Superman is a pretty sound Batman. All right? Despite playing all things considered, you know, at least for this universe, right? I get like, and I tell people all the time, like the Batman we got in Batman v Superman is a way better Batman than the one we got in Justice League. The one we got in Justice League, I'm like, that's not Batman. I don't know yeah, who that is, but that's not Batman. Yeah. And then, like, even what they did with Superman is, like, like it would have been okay if this was the Superman we got in Man of Steel. Right. And again, I love Man of Steel. If that was the Superman we got there, it would have been a different story. But, you know, you right. basically turned him into an outcast from, you know, Batman v Superman and, and Man of Steel. And you turn him into the Superman that we should have gotten from the beginning. Right. Doesn't really work too well. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't. It really felt like you had a director that didn't like the previous director's vision and tried to do a complete 180 in the, you know, as far as character development goes. And it, it falls flat. I mean, I remember walking out of Batman v Superman. I had my feelings about it, I, I didn't like it. But initially, it got my my creative juices flowing. I ended up writing a short called The Rise of Superman. Nice. You know, about Superboy, Steel, and Cyborg Superman. Nice. And I was thinking, I'm like, man, like, and it was like maybe a 30-page short, and it would have bridged the gap to Justice League. And I'm thinking to myself, after I seen Justice League, I was like, you know what? My short, my 30-page short film, Rise of Superman, is better than Justice League. <laughs> By far. <laughs> I mean, I'm not patting myself on the back, but it's just like, just basic storytelling elements feel more organic than the basic story storytelling elements in Justice League. So it's like, I feel like that film just fails on a basic level when it comes to filmmaking. Yeah. But and, and, and it's funny that we can sit here and think about it. And I'm pretty sure there's a lot of people that feel the same way too. It's like, there's just certain avenues and stuff that should be taken when looking at these things. Like, when you look at the Avengers, you know, it works for them. 
because of the right. different character dynamics that you have. You have an Iron Man that's very sarcastic and snarky and very Robert Downey Jr. And you have a Captain America. Like, I've gone on and said this on numerous occasions. Like, the Captain America we got in the movies feels like the Superman we should have gotten in the movies. And again, right. I love Man of Steel. I can't say that enough. But the Captain America that we had in the MCU, he felt more like Superman than Superman. Right. right. And if we're going to be honest. Even, even the way I feel about... Um... Man of Steel, like, Man of Steel is probably my favorite DC movie next to Wonder Woman. Right. And mostly because I remember walking out of that film thinking there's a lot of potential here. Yes. Where I, I really enjoyed the fact of having a Superman that wasn't fully formed. Mm -hmm. You know, a Superman that still was trying to work out who he was when it comes to identity. Right. And I felt like we would get to the Superman that we know and love before we see a Justice League. Exactly. Before he meets Batman. Right. Like, that potential felt great where we would get a three Superman, a three movie arc with Superman. And then in that third movie, he becomes who we all know and love. And then they, they decided to do Batman and Superman. So it's like, maybe I was in love with the potential that movie showcase because you know people talked about the you know everyone hated the fact that he killed Zod but it's like I think there was something that they could have done with that way yes yeah people might make all these you know arguments of what he could have did oh if he was strong enough to snatch his neck snap his neck he was strong enough to point his face away yeah but that's not the point the point was it's an opportunity for Superman to grow down the road where you make you do two films later and you see how he's grown from right. The moment he kills Zod, and that might, you know, affect his decision making later down the road. Yeah, and I think that is important when it comes to a character's art. And I feel like people kind of just, you know, they dismiss that that um, yeah. that potential there. And without that potential, it does it, it does make the movie feel a little bit less than. So when you watch Man of Steel and then you watch Batman v Superman, I feel like. Batman v Superman kind of devalues Man of Steel now because we don't see that that growth. We don't see that character arc that I was hoping for. And I know there are a lot of people that are also hoping for it. And that's another part of being open-minded to new ideas right. is when you're open-minded, you can see the potential. But then when it doesn't live up to that potential, it's like, right. you know, then you kind of feel bad for being open-minded to this mm -hmm. new idea. Yes. Yeah. That's how that that's my relationship with the DCU right now is like oh like, man open minded and like you and, get and, disappointed and and that's I I'd like to think that's where a lot of people are because that's where I am too because like again I came up majesty I was like oh my god we have a Superman that kind of fits today's world we have right. one like because you know the Christopher Superman was good for his time it still holds right. up but it's the first time Superman Returns. Eh. I, right. I, yeah, it's a rehash of the Reeves Superman, but you know, <laughs> looking at Henry Cavill and what they did with his Superman, I was like, you know what? This, I think, this is a Superman that could work for this time. And just like you, I had the same mindset. It was like, you know, okay, now we're gonna get Man of Steel two. He's gonna try to really get in the hold of being this Superman type of character. Like, you know, a three movie arc would have definitely did him some justice instead of them just 
wanting to shoehorn in Batman right away because we all know Batman is the most popular character in DC. Right. He's, he's the, the money maker. He, exactly. He's the money maker. <laughs> so it's just like, I get why they did it, but at the same time, it's just like, like even watching Batman v Superman, you can tell like Superman was really second fiddle in that movie. Right. He really was. Yeah. And it was just like, like e- e- even introducing Wonder Woman in there, I was just like, you probably didn't even have to have her wear the whole uniform. Yeah. Like if she like, just showed up as, <laughs> as like if she just showed up as Diana Prince, I'd have been okay with that. Right. Like she didn't have to change or none of that stuff. She could have just been there. That's cool. It's funny because that's kind of what my rewrite is doing. And that, that, like everything you just said, that's really kind of what I'm doing with my rewrite. I'm like, right. I'm essentially turning it into like a Man of Steel two. Like I'm right. really just making this proper Superman sequel. But I don't know. They they got a lot of cleaning up to do. Um, like I said, Aquaman and Shazam really took me by surprise. I, I definitely feel like I think I like Shazam more than I do like Aquaman. Me too. You know, like <laughs> I, I really wasn't expecting to like Shazam and like I'm kind of fifty fifty on Shazam. But like when I saw the movie, I was like, you know what? This was cool. This this, this was cool. I, I can dig this. You know, so but um as far as that is concerned, like we'll see what they do. But as far as like original stuff. What do you got coming down the pipe? What have you been working on? Oh, um, I'm actually, uh, right now, I was working on a film called Crazy He Calls Me with um, another filmmaker friend of mine. Um, her name is May. Uh, it kind of got put on hold right now because of COVID. We were actually going into production right before the pandemic started. Oh, wow. okay. And then because of everything, you know, she, she's a writer producer. She ended up making the, the call to, you know, shut down production mm-hmm. until this thing blows over. Like that was my, that was on my main course as far as um, my next project, which it, it's a, it's a great script. I mean, I, I love this project and I was super disappointed that, you know, we had to shut down, but I'm really looking forward. You know, the cast was great. We, I sat down with the cast about three times. You know, I scouted locations. I started working on fight choreography, mm-hmm. and it was extremely exciting. And, you know, pandemic happened, so it's on hold for now. But um, right now, I do have a script that I'm working on that I'm actually looking to shoot as soon as I clean up the script a little bit more. It's called The World Ends With You. Um, it's something I've been working on for a few years. It, it, it's a big, big project. And what I ended up doing was making it a little bit smaller to kind of pitch, mm-hmm. you know, because it's so, it, it's dense, you know, and I, the initial idea came when I was in high school and <laughs> forever ago. <laughs> and over the years, I've tweaked it here, tweaked it there, tweaked it here. And then just, you know, over the last few months, I said, you know what? I have all these ideas here for it. I'm going to make a short that introduce people to this world that I've created. And I like to tell people, like, you know, people have asked me about it. And I, the best way I can describe it is a mix between Harry Potter and Dragon Ball Z. Interesting. And... That's kind of the best way I can describe it without getting putting too much out there. Um, very few people have actually read the breakdown, and like I have a, a whole, a whole lookbook for it. I have a <laughs> a breakdown of every single chapter, every mm-hmm. single character. It's like 
there's a lot of characters in this thing and it would take a lot of money to get done but even just to to make this introduction this introduction to it would be great so i'm trying to put the pieces together to maybe get that done it's you know it's something that can be shot in a night with a handful of people um the other thing that i'm working on i have a series that i've been work also working on in the last few years called brawl um i released it I released a teaser last year um, and I'm working on the second part to kind of, to be able to say I have a pilot. So I'm going to shoot these next two parts, hopefully (laughs) before my, uh, before my actress goes to New York, hopefully I'm Mm -hmm. able to um, get everything I need together to shoot this. And once this COVID thing dies down and, you know, I want to try to get in the full force with going with Brawl and The World Ends With You. But those are probably my three projects that are pretty much on the let's do next list. Right. <laughs> nice. I can't, I actually can't wait to see those come to fruition. Um, what would you say for the people listening is the hardest part about being a filmmaker? Oh, man. <laughs> How much time do we have? Yeah, yeah. Um, I would say for me, the hardest part about filmmaking is finding locations. Finding locations has been the bane of my filmmaking existence. Um, <laughs> I mean, like, I always say, if I had a location, I would have 25 short films out there right now. Mm. Um it's just so tough to get locations or and when you try to lock one down the the area that i'm in it's it's tough you know i've i've had locations be locked down and the day of filming i get a call saying i can't shoot there anymore you know i've i've reached out to you know owners of property and they've given me a run around for two weeks and i end up have to scrap the whole thing because i'm making plans in the background i'm setting up rehearsals and as it's getting closer, you know, I'm not hearing back from location. So it's, you know, that's probably the biggest thing for me. And it's been something that's been plaguing me for since I started this this wonderful journey. Hmm. Um, even now, I, I'm even now as we speak, before we even got on this call, I was looking looking at locations, you know, for the world ends with you. Right. I mean, I'm like, if I can find a location and a VFX artist, I'm shooting it. And we might have to do fight choreography on set because I don't want to risk losing the location right. if possible. So it, that's always been my biggest struggle. <laughs> um, to anyone who's looking to get into this, what would be your best advice? My best advice for anybody looking to do this, this beautiful occupation would be don't make excuses. We have right now we're we're probably living in the greatest time for filmmakers. Mm. I mean, films are being shot on your phone. I mean, right now we have no excuses not to do what we love, not to make the film we want to make because it's easy as pulling out your phone. I mean, even if you're you don't know anything about filmmaking, guess what? You know how to point and shoot a phone. Keep doing it, keep doing it, and teach yourself. Look look for videos on YouTube, learn. You know, there's so there's so many tools out here. There's free editing software. There's editing software that you can get for under $15, you know. 
if you don't have a computer, but you have access to like a tablet or an iPad, you can do everything from your phone and your iPad. I just implore young filmmakers, middle-aged filmmakers, old, older filmmakers, just do it because the resources are out here and they're easily accessible, not like it was 20 years ago. So I just, if you got a story, you got a phone, you don't have an excuse. Mm. I, I can definitely agree with that because that's something I'm starting to follow my daggone self. I'm not even going to waste any time. I'm just going to try to get whatever done I possibly can. Um, before we wrap this up, any last words that you'd like to leave for the viewing and listening audience? Um, yes. Uh, one thing I want to do is I, I definitely want to thank all the people that have helped me along this journey. You know, my boy, Anthony Scannish, um, Ricardo Segura, May Claire, you know, my beautiful wife, Kim, um, they've all helped me in some way. You know, even there's there's other filmmakers that I've worked with, you know, that maybe they don't remember me, but I thank them. Like, and, and I implore everybody, just help your fellow filmmaker because you never know, you know, yeah. you never know whose dream you could be helping come to fruition. I think that's a very good words to leave off of. Um, I want to thank you again for coming on today for today's interview, man. We got to have you back on the show. Thank you. Anytime, man. Anytime. Definitely. Uh, I don't know. I might have to host a filmmaker's forum at some point and like, Definitely. Like, and have people just ask whatever questions they want to ask. Um, I'll, I'll probably look into that probably sometime next year. We'll probably do something like that. Um, cool. All his social medias will be in the description box so you can follow him on YouTube. I mean, if you want people to follow you on Facebook, that's up to you. Um, no. YouTube and uh, Instagram. That's where you can find me. YouTube and Instagram. All right. So I'm AC, at Caesar Pizarro on Instagram. Uh, my YouTube is just Anthony Pizarro, my first name. And I, I have a little bit on there, but trust me, there's more coming. <laughs> yeah. So you can definitely find them there. And then um, just keep up. Uh, like, Double Dragon should be dropping when? Hmm. I am going to release Double Dragon as a whole right after the film. There, it's it got accepted to a fan film festival. Nice. That's going to be in February. Okay. So right after it's done, I'm dropping it and I'm releasing it on YouTube for everyone to see. I did have a spe- uh, a weekend where I, I let everyone see it that was able to, and then I took it down. But it will be released in its entirety right after the film festival. So definitely be on the lookout for that. Um, I will definitely promote it as well because I mean. I'm part of it also, but you know, definitely, you know, I'll definitely share that with everybody is, and then you guys can check it out also. Um, again, he'll be back on a future episode. I think we're definitely going to do like a filmmakers forum of some sort and just have people ask whatever questions they want about filmmaking, you know, script writing, all that stuff, you know, so look out for a, a show like that next year. All right. Look out for yes, a show like that definitely yes. next year at some point, like probably Maybe, maybe before or after February, maybe after Double Dragon comes out to the public. All right, that sounds awesome. You know, give people a chance to recuperate from the holidays because, <laughs> yeah, you know. Oh, yeah. But other than that, again, thank you again for coming on the show, man. Thank you all for watching and listening. Again, you, of course, all my social media is in the description box, so you know exactly where to find me. If you're listening to this on a podcast, again, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iTunes, Anchor, I'm all there, so you can definitely listen to us on the go. If you're driving to work, if you still got to drive to work, I mean, I don't know. I mean, uh, 
it's, it's winter time now, so, you know, things is uh, heating back up again, I guess. But, you know, it is what it is. But um, other than that, we will catch you guys next time. And thanks for tuning in. We are out. All right. Peace.